We are in 1 Peter chapter 2. We have come to verse 13. Verses 13 to 17 is what I want to read for us this morning. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray. Our Father in God, again, we do love you because you first loved us. We've expressed that in our singing, in our giving, and uh, even in the things that are going on in our local assembly. And Father, what a privilege it is to see that you've loved us so much, not only in sending your son, but Father, that uh, through the Holy Spirit you have guided men and carried them along, that your word would be recorded and that we would be able to know it and study it. I thank you for this opportunity, and we pray, Father, as we move into this area that Peter is going to address, that you give us clarity of thinking, that you'd help me to rightly divide the word of truth, and that, Father, you'd use it in each one of our lives as we are to be a shining light to the world in which we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We just commit our study of the word of God to you in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Title of this morning's message, and it's uh, probably very interesting. We're going to be on cable, as I can see, as we move into this area. Um, heavenly citizens and civil authority. Heavenly citizens and civil authorities. And uh, first of all, I think it's important to understand what Peter has taught us to lead us to chapter 2, verse 13, by way of brief review. As believers, we have already learned that positionally, our position in Christ is that we are citizens of heaven. This is not our home. We sing those songs. Positionally, we are citizens of heaven. As we have gone through the book so far, we have seen that we are aliens. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We are strangers, and we've amplified that, and we've, we've looked at that at, at different angles. That is who we are positionally. And yet, conditionally, that is right now, right here, we're not in heaven. We're citizens there, but physically we are here. So positionally, we are of the human race. We are living on planet Earth, <clears throat> at least most of the time. Uh, we are living on planet Earth, and we must, is it not true, we must interact with people. We must interact with institutions. That is the reality of our life. There are governments and authorities that exist all over the world, not just in the United States of America, folks. There are governments all over the world. And whether or not a person 
is a citizen of heaven and happens to be living in the Philippines, there's a government there. If they are living in China and they happen to know Christ, they are citizens of heaven, but they're living with real people in real circumstances under real government authorities. That's a reality of life. And, and so that is true. And so we have seen as Peter has been teaching them as aliens, as strangers, as sojourners, as citizens of heaven, that basically the goal, if you will, that he has already presented toward God is to love him. We've been singing about that this morning. We got to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, spirit, mind, our whole being. And really, in summation, toward mankind, he taught us in the scriptures and the gospels that we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves, and our neighbor being all mankind. In that sense. So that's the bottom line. We're to love God and we are to love our neighbor. And in theory, he has taught us in the passage leading up to chapter 2, verse 13, that we are to love God. We are to desire the sincere milk of the word of God. We are to love the brethren. We are to live a holy life. And we are to show that life of belonging to God by good works to those who are on the outside. Now that all sounds simple, right? It's easy. Go home. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Uh, live a holy life. Show good works. Love the brethren. Desire God's word. Message done. That's it. Well, that's good theory. But we saw last week in our message, very important in leading up to this particular passage, as he begins now to move in and basically unpack that for us, in verses 11 and 12, and you can scan them there, he showed us that there is a reality check. And that is that while we are living conditionally here, there is a real war that is going on. And we spent the time in that last week noting that it is a real war, and oftentimes Christians either don't realize it or maybe even want to ignore it, but there is a war that is going on. And we saw a very important last week, and you can scan it again, in verse 11, the war is against the soul. It's not a physical war. It is really against the souls of men. And we took the time to point out that, first of all, if you don't know Christ, there is a war that's going on, and Satan is trying to keep you blinded from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, you've lost everything. And that is also true as we moved into believers that there's a battle going on even for our spiritual life. And the interesting thing we saw last week, I thought, as we looked at the passage, is while the target is the soul, the enemy may be surprising to us. Because we do look at the enemy as the devil is our enemy. He is. The world, as far as its philosophy and thinking, is our enemy, and it is. But what Peter pointed out in looking at that passage, there's a war for the soul that is going on inside of us because it's from the fleshly lust that is warring that. Because we are still in our physical bodies, we see that there is a lust that's still there, and James says that that's where sin begins. It begins, it's inside of us, and everybody wants to blame everybody else on the outside, and he says the real war that's taking place is there. 
And even though we are charged in verse 12 to live excellently before all people, we face slander when we do that. Interesting, because that is going to happen throughout the book of 1 Peter as we continue. Even when we're trying to do what's right, and we do what's right, we will face slander as an evildoer, verse 12. It is going to come, even when we're trying to live for Christ. So we should expect that. So there's a real war and a real battle going on. And in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 today, and continuing on through chapter 5, he is going to tell us how to handle the specifics. He is going to unpack it in greater detail for us. And I think it's very appropriate that what we have here today is that he begins to unpack it with civil authorities. Now, I find that interesting for a number of reasons personally. I find it interesting as a pastor how things come together because we just studied the book of Titus and we dealt with it a little bit there. We have the men's meetings that go on on Saturday meeting, uh, mornings and we happen to be studying and in that area we're dealing with civil authorities. And now as we come, the Lord's timing into the text in chapter 2 and verse 13, we're coming into the subject of civil authorities. I think the Lord has us wanting to get something out of this that is in the Word of God and to understand some things. Our times are very interesting. We are living in a time in which many changes are taking place. But let me also say this right away. It is nothing new. Every generation has changed. Changes are going to be involved in the world that we live in, first of all, just because we age. Things are never the way they were. I heard that from my parents, now my children are hearing it from me. And uh, my grandchildren, and it'll go on. Every generation, in reality, things change just because of age. Things also change because of technology. It is going to happen. Okay? And all of that affects us. But in reality, we want to understand that we are living in a world in which we're talking about civil government. Even in my lifetime, there have been some major, major changes. Just to highlight a couple of things for us right away, and how important this text will be as we unpack it, just think about this. Here's just a few I, I jotted down. One, past a couple of them Pastor Chris referred to this morning. Just definitions. The world that we are living in today has redefined in the United States of America what the family is. It has redefined what marriage is. I've shared with you right now, I as a pastor, when I fill out and perform a marriage ceremony and fill out the document, the document no longer says husband and wife. It just does not. It says party one, party two. The, the definition of marriage has been redefined. We are living in a day and age in when there is confusion over the biological and the personal choice. For example, even in the area of gender orientation. Whether or not that's biological or whether it's built upon personal choice. And there is a lot of confusion on that and a lot of issues with that today. Speech has changed dramatically today. 
And I'm not talking about just by way of language. I'm talking about by way of simple things that you recognize. We are involved in trying to define what bullying is. And in saying that, I'm not just talking about schools, even in what you say in your speech. In fact, it's interesting today, I'm going to be on cable, I'm going to be, and I have to be very careful what I say, but the bottom line is, we have to understand that speech is taken as a form of bullying, depending upon what it is and what is said. Our speech will define whether or not it's bigotry is involved. By what? The definition that it is supposedly having today and depend upon what we are saying about who or what will determine whether or not uh, that language is that way. Our schools have been vastly affected. All of this is foundational to, I think, believe for us to understand where we're going here. Schools. Schools have changed dramatically in our lifetime, in our parents' lifetime, for sure. Why? The concept of removing God from the public school system in prayer has been going on now for years. And there is not the interest in wanting to talk about God or prayer on a general sense. There are certainly the exceptions to the rule, and certainly in a Christian school, that should not be an exception, that uh, they talk about God or pray. And I'm so thankful that we not only have announcements in the morning, we still have a Pledge of Allegiance to our flag every morning, and we have Bible verses and prayer before we even start our classes every morning today in Fellowship Christian Academy. But that's an exception. Our monetary system has worked in our lifetime toward, has not yet accomplished it, toward the question of removing in God we trust from our coins and wanting to change that system. And I'm just pointing these things out. These are just some of the smaller changes, uh, yet in another sense they're pretty large. Our laws regarding marriage, our laws regarding the use of bathrooms, by the way, depending upon transgender, whether you're aware of it or not. That even came across my desk again this week. Just the reality of people in that situation, uh, can, you can't keep a guy out of a woman's bathroom or a woman out of a guy's bathroom today. Those things affect us. Position, not positionally, but conditionally, because we live in this world. Or the latest one, and in case you haven't heard it, I'm sure many of you have, Pastor Chris referred to it, and that is the recent case that has happened in the city of Houston, in Texas. And if you have not, by the way, just some of you might be able to read it, but if you can't, I'll just put it in front of you, the bold writing, it says the city of Houston demands pastors turn over their sermons. And in case you think that that is not a real situation, it is. In the city of Houston, they have their first lesbian mayor. And because of that and other things that have happened, there have been subpoenas that have been given to pastors whereby they are, were to submit all of their sermons and to submit any time that they spoke on those areas so that could be examined by the state of Texas. We are living in a different age. By the way, the latest on that, just so you understand it, is they backed off. They did not remove the subpoenas. A lot of people think they have. They did not. But they did back off of removing the subpoenas on the sermons. But they are still attacking the pastors 
in wanting to talk about their speeches but not their sermon on a Sunday morning, for example. So there's a lot of things that are changing in our day and age. And, uh, and so what should we do? Honestly, we're, heaven, we're citizens of heaven, but we're living in this world. This is all around us. What should we do? Should we protest? Should we rebel? Should we vote and just leave it there? Or should we take the attitude that our vote doesn't matter and don't vote anyway? Should we just ignore everything and try to get by the best we should? Should we simply accept it as that's what it is in 2014 and that's the way it is and just give into it? Should we just return to the good old days of uh, when we were younger? By the way, I think Solomon gives a great answer on that. He says, anytime we say, so if you ever find yourself saying this about your personal life or the church or our country or anything, and you say, I remember the good old days and I just want to go back there, you're not really doing something that you should be doing because Solomon says you always forget all of the trials that were back then. You remember only the good times because back then the good times were probably not as good as you think they are or were. It's an interesting passage. So it's very important. So what is really important to us today? All of that for an introduction. Why did you take the time, Pastor Dan? We just want to get into the text. Wait a minute. I think we need to understand how important this text is and what we're going to study in relationship to the world we're living in. And what truly is important to me is what does God say? Not what does man say. What does God say about this? What is the will of God for us? How do we handle these situations biblically and, and approach them biblically? And I want to say this, I'm not sure we will answer every one of the questions either that I raised or that everyone in here could possibly raise, which would be endless. But we will attempt to address these things biblically without prolonging it. So I'm telling you, I will not just be this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, because I think it is so relevant to what we are living in today, and we do need to understand what the Scriptures say. Uh, so we will be more than one week on this. What I will do is for you, just to give you a heads up and you know what we're dealing with, I want us to work through the text because that's what we're here to do. Expound the Word of God, not to get off on some hobby hoss, not to get off on something. I'm only addressing this because it's here. So I want to work through the text. I will also, so you know, be considering some other biblical texts because we won't get there today. Other biblical texts of people who lived in situations and how God instructed them, and how they were to handle it in relationship to what the teaching is that we find in Scripture. And then we will try to draw some conclusions in addressing some of the practical situations that we live in today and some of the things that I raise. So that is where we find ourselves in this particular text in which Peter is writing to us, and we understand that, yeah, we're in heaven, but we're living here. How do we handle this when it comes in relationship to civil authorities. What is Peter's approach? Let's start with that in our text. Peter's approach is, by the way, so that you understand it, and uh, for those who do take the time to study in detail, in verses 13 and 17, he is bombarding us with imperatives. He is not giving us choices here. He is not saying, if you want to. 
He is saying this is mandatory. And he is bombarding us with a series, and he changes the tenses a couple of times, but most of them are present. Present imperatives that he is just absolutely bombarding us with. And he gives us a charge. He begins to unpack that charge in explaining it. And then in verse 17 in particular, I think you'll see why I say it's a summary, but when we get that far. But verse 17 is kind of a summary to put everything in perspective as to how we are to live there. I also find it very interesting uh, that Paul starts with this particular area when he's unpacking everything. It's uh, very interesting. You know, why? Why does Paul, for example, start here? Do you ever think about that? Why begin here with civil authorities, since he's going to unpack it? Why not start with the family? He's going to address that later on. Look at chapter 3. He's going to talk about husbands and wives. Why didn't he start with that? Why didn't he start with our job? Why didn't he start with everyday living when it's there? Why start with government or civil authorities? I tell you right away why. Here's why before we begin to unpack that. Because, folks, they are appointed by God. Because, whether they realize it or not, they are ministers of God. Whether they realize it or not, all of our politicians, all of the governments of the world, whether it is in China, whether it is in the Philippines, just because I mentioned them, or whether it's in Canada or the United States of America, all of those officials will answer to God. They are appointed by Him. And without government or civil authorities, everybody would do that which is right in their own eyes. If we were not under civil authorities, every one of us would just decide what we want to do. Some would drive down the street at 100 miles an hour without any restrictions and any consequences. Others would drive 10 and cause the same problems going down the street. Some would decide, I'm throwing the trash out my window, which some people do. And others would put it in these very nice receptacles and take their time and take care of trash properly. Some would walk down the street with a machete and kill everybody in their path because they don't like anyone. Someone else would not believe in carrying a machete. And on and on I could go with examples. Without some type of civil authority, we need to understand that we find in Scripture. Society would reach the point in which everybody would simply just do what's right in their own eyes without any accountability, without any responsibility. There would be no law. There would be no order. There would be no structure. There would be no accountability. There would be no resistance. It would be utter chaos if man was left on his own. I also want to make another statement right up front. You will find in Scripture, and we will find this out, but I want you to have it right up front. God does not approve of any particular type of government other than a theocracy. It started with a theocracy, and it will end with a theocracy. He does not think that the only way to run government is like the United States of America is doing. Nor the way the nation of Israel did. 
In fact, the nation of Israel wanted to follow the way the other nations did, and that's how they got a king in the first place, rather than following God. So we need to understand that God, in giving us instruction, does not say in the Word of God, I want you to form a democracy. I want you to form this, a republic. I want you to form a dictatorship. I want you to form anything like that. So as we continue to go through this now, what I want us to begin with is this. I said we'd work through the text. Yes. But I want you to see the primary New Testament text that deal with this. If we're going to understand how to react and how to live with civil authorities, we need to know what the texts are. And primarily, there's only a few of them in the New Testament. I read Romans 13 this morning already, and we just read 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17. I want us to take a moment, initially as we're dealing with this, for you to see these other texts. Turn with me to just three texts this morning. These are foundational for your notes, so that you can pray about it, you can examine it, and as we unpack 1 Peter chapter 2, we can begin to see what we can learn together, keeping in mind what these other texts say. Turn with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Now, I just happen to choose Mark. This is found in the Synoptic Gospels elsewhere, but I will just read one of them to you. Mark chapter 12. You will recognize it, beginning in verse 12, and hopefully these texts will help us. Verses 13 to 17. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him, that is Jesus, in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not, uh, excuse me, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. They sound pious, don't they? Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? A lot of Christians want to ask that question. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were all amazed at him. You will find that text in the synoptics. That's just a simple test that was given to the Lord. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Again, there is Romans 13. 1 Timothy chapter 2, allow me to read these, I think they'll set the tone. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're given this instruction by the Apostle Paul. Verse 1, first of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, and testimony given 
at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling you the truth. I am not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let's turn to Titus chapter 3. One more passage. Now obviously you should already be picking out some things that God is instructing us in. In Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now we just, not too distant past, studied this together. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom we poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I want to take it down to verse 9. So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strifes and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Okay, those are the texts, just to set the tone. The ones that I read, Romans, 1 Peter, 1 Timothy, Titus, and Mark are the primary texts that we find in our New Testament that are dealing with the uh, concept of civil authorities. Now, we do have many that deal with people who are subject to those authorities. And we even have the Lord Jesus Christ an example, but we will get there. But let's turn back now to 1 Peter and chapter 2. All of that is introductory, the whole message, almost this morning. But it's important for us to get there. He starts with a charge. Here's Peter in verse 13. The starting point of the principle is right away, submit yourselves what does he say? Submit yourself. What does this mean? As he begins to talk about the next subject, which is civil authorities, as we see, because he mentions kings, he mentions governors, he begins by giving a command, and he says to submit yourselves. That is, you know what the term means, to rank yourself under, to come under the authority of a commander. It's a military term. It would be like saying to a soldier, put yourself under the command of the generals or the sergeants. Not just the generals, but also the sergeants and the lieutenants. Rank yourself under them. They are the authority that is over you. I won't turn there because of time that's gotten away, but in Proverbs 24, 21 and 22, it says that we are to, first of all, love the Lord, and then we are to honor the king. And in fact, it says in verse 22, we are to avoid those who want change. Now, people think, what do you mean change there? 
It is the concept of rebelling against those who are in authority. Avoid them. Stay away from them. One of the things I want us to see right away with Peter, because we need to get it. We need to understand that he is going to bombard us with this term to submit. And if we don't get it here, we won't get it anywhere else. I want you to see it. In chapter 2, verse 13, he's going to say, Submit yourselves to the authorities over you. Look at verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Verse 5. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Go to chapter 3, verse 22. I want you to see it. It's going to be a theme with Peter. Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected or submissive to him. He's going to refer to the angels and them being in submissiveness to God. Chapter 5, verse 5. Watch what he says. You younger men, likewise, be subject or be submissive to your elders. And that, by the way, is in the context of elders of the church. What, is it, what am I saying? You're going to see that as Peter begins to unpack the practicality of living as a citizen of heaven and living on the earth conditionally with all kinds of situations, he is going to, as he addresses many of the situations, begin with this concept. Begin with the concept of we need to understand, yes, I am a citizen of heaven. Yes, I belong to God. And since I'm not going to get that far this morning, I want you to see. He's going to say, you're really free men. Christ has set us free, but you're still a bondservant of God. And as a bondservant of God, God has established certain things, and we also need to be involved in submissiveness. Now, I know already there's probably some questions. Well, how far do you go with submissiveness? I will address that, but I'm not going to get there to the whole thing this morning. You know, when do you draw the line? How do you draw the line? How do you deal with a situation like Houston? How do you deal with a situation in marriage? How do you deal with these things? That will unpack it as we begin to see it here. What is the point of him starting off in chapter 2, verse 13, with the very first two words by saying, submit yourselves? Basically, the point is this. We are to see ourselves as under them. We are. Whatever land we are living in, the people in China, since, and again, I just happen to pick that name off the top of my head, need to understand that they are under the Chinese government. That is the authority that's over them. People in, in, in Canada, same thing. They are under the government that is over them. They are under them. And basically, the first call is this. Live as a law-abiding citizen. That's what it is. We are to live as law-abiding citizens. We are living in a particular area of the world. We are not part of this world, but we are in it. And we are to live in the beginning point as a law-abiding citizen. We're not to simply take this view. 
I'm a child of God. It doesn't matter what the government says. That is unbiblical. You may not agree with them. We will get there. But to simply say that I am a child of God and it doesn't matter what the laws are of the United States of America, though I live here as a citizen, it doesn't matter. I can do what I want because I'm a child of God. That is not godly thinking. Why? First of all, notice the motivation. Submit yourselves. Why? What does it say? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. The reason, first of all, he doesn't say this. Submit yourselves to the government because they may execute you. Submit yourselves to the government because you may end up in prison. And by the way, we will see as you compare with Romans, that is one of the reasons why we submit, but it's not the primary one. Peter brings out the primary one right away. We ought to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake. Why? Because they are appointed by God. Go with me to Romans chapter 13 that I read, just to highlight a couple of things. Now again, it doesn't matter whether or not the President of the United States, the Senators, the Governors, the town officials recognize this. They should, because they're going to be held accountable for it. But you need to understand that God has appointed them. Look at Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Every person is to be subject, same principle, to the governing authorities. Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. He doesn't say the United States of America. He said those that exist are established by God. Look at verse 4. For it is the minister of God for good... Now, that's part of the principles of their responsibility. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in, for nothing. For he is what? The minister of God. An avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. When you go back and look at it, God had a theocracy. Man does not want that. And God has established government to rule over man. So there is not chaos. And they are the ministers of God. Go with me to one other book. I could go several places, but for time, let's just narrow it down to Daniel. Go with me to Daniel chapter 4. I want you to see this. Daniel chapter 4. I think it's so important that we as Christians understand what the biblical perspective is. And by the way, submission is only the beginning. But Daniel chapter 4, I want you to see this. This is what Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel will be one of the examples we look at later, as will Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We will look at those examples because there was resistance, and so you don't go away saying, well, I just submit. There is a time to resist. We will get there. Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. This sentence is decreed of the angelic watchers, and the decision is the command of the holy ones. Why? in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. That's God's sovereignty. And bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowest of men. 
Look at verse 25, same chapter. And he's again dealing with Nebuchadnezzar, but he says, And then you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place is the beast of the field, and you be given grass to eat like the cattle. This was the king. And drench with dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you, that is the king, recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it to whomever he wishes. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're not in power except God allowed it and wanted you to be there. And he's going to bring you to the lowest point so that you begin to recognize it. Go with me to chapter 5, verse 21 of the book of Daniel. Who was driven away from mankind and his heart was made like the beast, referring to Nebuchadnezzar again, and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was giving grass to eat like cattle. We just read about that. What's the bottom line? That the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and he sets over it whomever he wishes. And you would find that throughout the book of Daniel. What are you seeing? What's the point? We ought to submit to those who are in authority for the Lord's sake because the Lord has appointed them as ministers. The point is God is sovereign. God is over all. And the leaders that we have, God has allowed them to be there. And because of where we are right now, I, I think it's important that we understand this. Look a little bit ahead in 1 Peter 2. Because I want you to see this this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he came on the scene, who was in power? Come on. Rome, right? And Caesar, right? Who was the most innocent guy who was ever on the earth? I, I almost have to apologize. I do for saying guy. Who was the most innocent person that ever lived? Jesus Christ. Was he under that government? Well, we saw in Mark, he said, render to Caesar the things of Caesar. How about when he was falsely accused? Look at chapter 2. Since we're in that chapter, we're not that far yet, but I want you to see this. Go with me to verse 21. Well, you've been called for the purpose. Everybody always quotes 23 and 24, but let's go back to 21. You've been called for the purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, Noah's deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, by whom? The Jews, yes. By the Roman soldiers, yes. He did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. He didn't threaten them. He didn't threaten Caesar. He didn't threaten Pontius Pilate. But kept entrusting himself to him that judges righteously. And that's where you get verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness by, for by his wounds you were healed. That is the context of this. It is right after he's going to say in verse 13 to us to submit ourselves, yourselves, for the Lord's sake because he's going to even go in and show an example even when we get into the servant-master relationship that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He submitted himself. So why, first of all, are we to submit? Why are we to recognize that 
our government is in place and God has allowed that. And our first thing is to realize that we are subject to them. We ought to rank under their laws. Well, first of all, because God has appointed them. Secondly, because they, as such, are the ministers of God. And thirdly, I won't go back to Romans, it is because we do not want to be punished. Why? That's what he says. We want to submit ourselves. If you don't want to fear the government, then abide by their laws. Do what they say and you do not have to fear because they are there and appointed not to punish people who do what's right, but people who do what's wrong. Now, I already know what you're probably thinking. Yeah, but our government punishes those who do what's right. And you know, it's, so we'll get there. And we'll, we'll take the time to try to get there. But we need to understand in our thinking, first of all, that God has allowed them to be over us. We are to submit ourselves to them. And in fact, I'll end with this this morning. I want you to know, and he will expand on it, but he begins by saying to every human institution. That sets the tone for the rest of the book. We are to put ourselves and rank ourselves under that. What does that mean? Literally, this word comes from the word that means creation. It comes from the word that commonly was translated, by the way, foundation. And I think that's important for us to hear. We ought to submit ourselves to every created institution, every created foundation, that is, so that man can function in this world. And when he says every, what is he talking about there? He's dealing with governing authorities. We're going to see that because he expands on that. But he's also going to deal with employment. He's also dealing with the family. He's also dealing with church leadership. Listen, folks, I want us to get this this morning before we leave. It's important that we understand, you know, we came from a past that was unsaved, those of us that know Christ. We lived for ourselves. We lived for this world. And by God's grace, in opening up our understanding through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have come to trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. We've been passed from death into life. We've been passed from darkness to light. We've been passed from that old life to a life that loves God. We've been passed so that we are now citizens of heaven. But we are let here by God, left here by God, to be a light to a perverse world that we live in. And we're to reflect the light of Christ to that world. We are to give them the gospel because that's the good news they need to hear. And they are to see us as different. Not weird, but different. And I'm going to tell you right now, if we start with this first point, for a child of God to understand that I am to rank myself under the foundational establishments while I'm living here in this world, and I am to rank myself under them so that I am under, to understand that government has a place. And I am to recognize that God has allowed that to be in place over me. God has allowed the structure of the family. So I, as a child in a home, ought to be thankful that I have parents that are concerned and want to bring me up in the discipline and nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am to rank myself under my parents. And I am to understand that I am to recognize the institution of the family on this earth. And I am to love my wife, as we have heard, as Christ loved the church. 
And I as a wife am to recognize that institution as coming from God. And I rank myself under my husband because it's right in God's eyes. And I need to understand that I'm, when I'm in an employment situation, that God has established that for the betterment of man. And I have a boss and I have people that are over me. And yes, they might abuse it. We're not there yet. But God needs to ha wants us to understand that they are over me and I am to be thankful that I got a job and a paycheck and I am to rank myself under my boss. And I need to understand that, and this is a common one. Listen, folks, and I'll try to wrap it up on this. With the local church today, people don't want it. Today's young Christian is of the attitude, I'm a citizen of heaven, I don't need the local church. You're wrong. It is God's established authority. And you're going to see that God expects you to be under the leadership by the time we get to chapter 5. And the elders are going to be responsible before God for how they're shepherding you. But you have the responsibility of ranking yourself under the leadership. And if you don't, you are out of the will of God. Those young folks that have want nothing to do with the local church are dead wrong. And the problem is that he's pointing out right away to you is we are to see ourselves as being submissive. The Lord Jesus Christ was submissive to the Father's will. He did what the Father wanted even to the point of death. He even was able to submit himself under the governing authorities when he was on earth. He was even respectful and honoring and submissive to the point where he could be even under the established religion that was going on in the day. And he fulfilled the law. Too many times we think we're citizens of heaven and I have no restrictions whatever to this world and I don't relate. And part of the problem, even in civil authorities, is we don't get the first point. And that is that we are to be subject to them because God has allowed them to be in place. And if we could get that, we would start to win the battle. Because we will find out, just so you know, we will deal with it. We will find out that there is a time in which we are going to say, nope, God comes first. You have crossed the line. If it means my life, it means my life. I will not submit to that. There is a time. But we need to not start there. We need to start with understanding. And so Peter gives it to him right away. You want to live a holy life? You want to battle the tendencies in your own flesh? Here it is. Submit yourself to government. Because your flesh is going to say, no way. And that is going to be a war in your own soul. All right? It's only the beginning. We haven't even obviously finished this particular text. But uh, we will go through and work it out. Because there is a time to resist. There is a time. There's a right way to do it. And I think there's some practical, I hope I have some practical principles for you as to where does it come in when the government gives you the right to make a protest, where the government allows you to do certain things, where the government allows you to vote, are these things that we ought to take advantage of. Did, let me just help you out. Did Paul appeal to the laws that he was under in Rome? Yes, he did. There were other things that we can do. But we need to understand that the first thing is we need to recognize. And 
Obviously, we need to pray for our government, too. We can start there today, can't we? So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you that Peter is going to address a very practical area to us. And Father, we've just begun to begin to touch this topic. But I pray, Father, that you'd help us to understand that, first of all, we ought to be subject to you. Oftentimes, as believers, we don't even want to have you ruling in our lives. <clears throat> we want to do things our way. But I pray, Father, we'd submit ourselves, submit ourselves to you and your word. And Father, we know, isn't it, as mentioned, some of the changes, that some of the real tragedies that are going on in our government today, in our laws of this land. Father, I pray that we would submit for your namesake, recognizing and honoring them for their positions, that we would pray for them as we ought to pray, and often we don't. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to know the word of God so that when it comes time that we need to resist, we might know how to resist and do it in a right way. And I pray, Father, and ask that as we have our president and we have elections coming up and we have governors and senators and all kinds of positions before us and, Lord, a lot of confusion, that you'd help us with wisdom to at least pray for our government, pray for these laws that are contrary to the word of God, pray for wisdom in living as a citizen of heaven in the midst of all of this ungodliness. Help us to do it in a way that honors you. We pray, Father, and ask that you just bless and help us to think on the things that we started to look at Take the time this week to look at the other text. And Father, that we would be great citizens of heaven while living here on earth that would turn people to Christ and not even to a government that could possibly save them. But Father, that they would turn to the true Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.